You're listening to Frontlines, a podcast for the people that truly make mountain biking happen. Not the riders, racers, or product designers, but the builders, advocates, and the often forgotten board members of your local mountain bike trail association. Over the last few episodes, we've discussed the lack of diversity in the mountain bike community. My guests and listeners have provided some great perspectives, and I'm excited to include another perspective in this discussion. If you haven't listened to the previous episodes, I strongly encourage you to listen to episodes four, five, and six. You won't be disappointed. This episode, we'll be looking at diversity in the wider outdoor community, taking lessons from hiking and camping and how they can be applied to mountain biking. We'll also explore just why diversity is so important. My name is Brent Hillier. Welcome to episode seven of Frontlines. My guest is Umbreen Tark, and she lives in the Washington, D.C. area. She spends her free time camping and hiking with her husband. While exploring new places, she's noticed the lack of diversity in the outdoors. This has led to the creation of the Instagram and blog known as At Brown People Camping, and it's a social media initiative to promote diversity in the outdoors through personal storytelling. Hi, Umbreen. Welcome to the show. Brent, so nice to join you. Thank you for for making the time to to sit down and and, and have a chat with me. What I'd love to know first is what draws you to the outdoors? Why why do you love the outdoors so much? Yeah, I mean, that is a great question. Also, probably a hard question to start off with, right? It's um, sometimes it's hard to answer a question that means so much to you. Um, I explore this a lot through, through my blogging and through my project, and there's so many different reasons why I love the outdoors and all of which I think anyone who likes the outdoors can connect with and it's not profound in any way but it's always so personally profound um to me being in the outdoors is one it means something different on the kind of based on the kind of person you are right so for me I identify with living a very city life and the outdoors is disconnecting from that and being outdoors, whether I'm camping or hiking, is just constantly a way of reminding myself of the privileges that I enjoy in my life on a daily basis, like being able to access water or heat or shelter or food in in sort of easy and nonchalant ways that we forget being people who are privileged. So being outdoors is just a very powerfully humbling experience for me, and I enjoy that feeling. It's also very empowering uh, on the other side of the issue, as in reconnecting with your with your strengths be they physical and actually doing this type of labor or just the mental perseverance that it takes to enjoy outdoors activities like pushing yourself on a hike or camping in in extreme temperatures or you know even if it is just taking a walk on a sunny afternoon um i think being outdoors is just so personally empowering for me because it reminds me of my weaknesses it reminds me of my privileges and then obviously just the pure aesthetic joy of being in nature well you and your husband started camping people questioned how you participated 
in the outdoors. There was there was you know comments on on your Instagram page about uh, you know like oh you're not you're car camping that's not real camping that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah, that's been a very interesting experience for me because, um, you know, the the outdoor space, regardless of what really what activity you're engaging in, the outdoor space is so much about um, extreme achievements, right? Like, how do you climb the highest summit? How do you backpack the greatest length? Or how do you do something in the most minimal and extreme way? And I think the admiration we have for the extreme in the outdoors kind of creates a culture for us to evaluate each other in that way. And um, which I think we should really start challenging and certainly uh, trying to reach for such extreme accomplishments is extremely empowering. And I don't (laughs) want to shame anyone for that, but I also really want to embrace accessibility as well. And, and whatever choices people make in how they want to experience the outdoors. And that's something that I, it's taken me a little bit and a little while to be comfortable saying and acknowledging about my own self is I'm okay with taking shortcuts or doing something that is not traditionally the most minimalist thing to do. And in the beginning, I wasn't so comfortable admitting that. And I used to feel, um, I used to feel very self-conscious about it. And, And those are some of the stories I was sharing is, you know, when you're new to something or, or you don't have a lot of experience in it, you're you're going to do it your own way. And so that's a lot of the, the comments we used to hear immediately is, um, you guys are car camping, that's not really camping, or we go only for one or two nights, that's not long enough, or if we did a short hike, that's not long enough. And there's, no matter what you talk about, oftentimes you get into this one-up nature of a conversation with someone else, and they're not even trying to insult you, but for some reason it's just such an ingrained part of talking about outdoors activities and it would really hinder my sense of outdoors confidence because at a time when I'm trying to grow my skills I'm also feeling self-conscious about my inability to be extreme so I would immediately start off my conversation by saying oh I'm, we're not really campers we're just trying it out in this way or we're not really outdoors people we just do it on our own terms and sort of setting myself up for not presenting myself in sort of these high expectations. But as through the project that I've been exploring over the last few months, I have through my followers and through people that I've connected with who are doing fantastic things in the outdoors and trying to promote diversity or just trying to promote the outdoors, I've really gained my sense of self-confidence again about being able to just sort of own whatever it is that I want to do in the outdoors and however I I want to experience it and sort of be unapologetic Mm. about wanting to make it accessible. And I think that's a very important conversation we need to have as people who enjoy the outdoors or people who enjoy the environment, because if we continue to perpetuate this exaggerated ideal of an outdoors person it's just not sustainable as people have families and they have lives and have responsibilities and if we create this ideal that this is outdoors it's either this or you're cheating or you're not you know you're not truly outdoors then people are just going to continue to shy away from experiencing it in that way right and I come across that all the time people come up to me and say I love your blog I love what you do you know I'm not really an outdoors person but I love to hike and and that just baffles me because what does that even mean, right? What 
clearly people are loving going outside and enjoying nature, but are making a decision to say they are not outdoors people because it means something exaggerated and unrelatable to them. So that's something very important to me to be open, honest, and unapologetic about the decisions that we make in making the outdoors an accessible choice for our lifestyle. And I really try and talk a lot about that in my blog so that people can also feel confident to admit that about themselves. And it's been amazing hearing the responses from people who completely agree with that. And a lot of people who have families and who have kids or who are students or just who have lifestyles that don't necessarily um, allow them to be extreme. And it's been very empowering to see that most people feel that way. So I think it's great to start having that conversation and be proud of however we're going about integrating the outdoors into our lifestyle. I think the parallels with, with mountain biking specifically is, is, is huge. I mean, mountain biking is such a competitive sport in a lot of ways, even, even, you know, friendly competition, but you, you know, you put, you put things down to, you know, I got down to the bottom of the trail faster than, than you did, or, or I can climb this part of the trail where you have to walk up this, this part of the trail. And, and, and what's amazing is that even, even with race and gender removed from this, it's the outdoors is, is very, it's just not inclusive. <laughs> it sounds like even without putting in, um, or, or, or kind of discussing those other bigger, huge, you know, human topics, it, it, it sounds like there's, there's this automatic, just, you're not part of the club. Uh, you're not, you're not doing it the right way and, and you're not included. Yeah, and I think that's a very important point because it's not about necessarily race and gender and other identities. It's a, a pretty central issue that affects the outdoor community culture. And I think it absolutely affects people who want to try it and it creates another bar for entry for folks who don't necessarily have experience with it. And that's where I think there is an overlap with diversity issues but they are also independent issues. With my discussions that I've had over the last few episodes, I've talked a lot with, with my guests about, uh, you know, maybe we're not necessarily doing something overtly wrong in the outdoor community and in our outdoor sports and activities, but maybe we're just not doing everything that we could. But but just by, you know, reading reading and going over your your Instagram account and your blog and, and reading some of the comments, you've you've received overtly racist backlash. Yeah. And I and that has been very, very surprising to me because I actually agree with your premise that in this unique space, the lack of diversity in the outdoors is much more nuanced and it's much more about people's inability to access the outdoors, not overt exclusion. And I think the call for action on my end is what we can all be doing to promote the outdoors more and to promote people who aren't necessarily re represented in the community to get out there to try it and how can we help that, that experiential process. That's, that's what I truly believe. And what has been interesting to me is learning about the voices who feel offended, angered, or disagree with the basic premise that we need to diversify the outdoors. And that was something very surprising to me because I didn't really think that there would be people who 
felt so strongly um, or, or disagreed so strongly with that. And what I've learned through those comments has been a, a number of patterns. One is that there are people who feel um, almost accused by this conversation when just just by claiming we need to diversify the outdoors. There aren't that many people of color out there that as there should be. The, the trails should represent how America looks or how your country looks. Your your population demographics should be sort of representative of who's enjoying the outdoors. And that conversation, so immediately people feel accused by that conversation and feel as though, I'll just speak for myself and not necessarily anyone else who's engaging this conversation. When I say let's diversify the outdoors, people feel accused that I'm saying white people are excluding people of color from the outdoors and that's unfair and that's not true and and that I'm being racist or race baiting. And I think it's interesting and I value everybody's opinion in this conversation because it is sensitive and it's something I never thought of in that way. So I really try in all my messaging to talk about our everybody's responsibility to promote the outdoors because ultimately we need to grow our community of people who love being outside so that we'll have a larger community to protect the environment. And with just population growth, the way it's going, we need to do a better job of growing our community. And that includes our the growing population of people of color. And it's interesting to, to me that people feel accused in that way. But that is a reality. So there's a lot of sort of frustration coming from that end. Another pattern that I've noticed um, is people saying that, you know, I've seen people of color on the trails. I go outside. I don't see the lack of diversity. Therefore, I believe your call for greater diversity is a non-issue, is disingenuous, or um, is sort of a disingenuous campaign. Right. And this what what I like to think of is um, the sort of confirmation bias that I see people of color outside. Therefore, this is not an issue. I don't believe it. And that this is a, a greater this is a conversation that's disingenuous. And that has been really interesting to me because it's it's something hard to try and respond to if someone if, if people want to rely only on their observations. So another goal that I'm setting for my project is how can I shed light on the fact that there are different experiences out there. The numbers are the numbers. We have, for our national park system, the numbers are representative of what's actually happening, who's actually visiting our national parks, and the majority of it is white people. Why are people of color not visiting our national parks? When you look at our environmental organizations and all of these things, the, the demographic numbers are there. Right. So how can we as a community push ourselves beyond our own confirmation bias and say, maybe my experience isn't the reality or the whole experience? How can we push ourselves to see everybody's experience and not feel accused in this conversation, but kind of just see the value in the need for the diversity and work together towards that? So those are some of the patterns I've seen in in some of these comments where people feel accused or people feel like we're making an issue that doesn't need to be made an issue of. And, and these these things are inherently not based in um, the reality of the situation. So my goal for my project is kind of to shed light on those realities 
and to not necessarily tell people that we need it, but to show people why we need it and what the value added is of getting more people out there to enjoy our environment. Yeah, I think there's there's some really interesting arguments uh, against this. And and I think that what I've learned over the, the last few episodes and, and with my discussions is that this is this is very important. And, and I think sometimes when we get into our bubbles and, and we all have our own little bubbles within the outdoor community, you know, I've got my little mountain bike bubble and, and, uh, and you know, you've, you might have it within your, your community, you've got your little camping and, and, uh, you know, bubble and you hang out with the, the same people and, and we look around and we go, this seems great. Things are going well. But when we kind of back up and we look at the big picture, I think that there's, there's actually a, a decline in a lot of engagement. And, and we may not necessarily see that, but it's important that we get more people out there. And, and I think for me, it's, it's advocates for the environment and, and advocates for the outdoor. And the more advocates we have for the outdoors, then, then the more sustainable uh, every other part of our life is, is going to be. Yeah, and I think that's, that's exactly the point for my project as well. And to shed light on how beautiful it is and how at the end of the day, if you enjoy the outdoors and I enjoy the outdoors, we have a kinship then through our connection with the environment and our love for the environment. And I think that discussion has been able to connect me to people that I would have never met and created the sort of genuine relationship that we have by being open and honest and vulnerable with, with our our now digital community about our love for the outdoors and what that means. And what's interesting about the outdoors is that there are people out there on the entire spectrum of politics and social beliefs. Right. And I think there's, that's beautiful in itself. And if we can engage each other in that conversation through our kinship for the environment, there's a lot of positive space there to grow together. One of the arguments that, that I've received is mountain biking and, and most, if not all, outdoor activities, as far as North America is concerned, these happen in areas that are predominantly white. And and is that, I mean, is that true? And is and if so, is that even a valid excuse? Yeah, I think that's really interesting because that's not necessarily true in America. Our state parks and our uh, you know national park systems span lands all across the country i mean in in spaces where there can be parks located in places where they're predominantly people of color but we do see even in those places we see less engagement from the local community of color in those public lands right and i i I don't know necessarily if if there's a direct correlation with these places being located in white spaces because I, i just don't have those numbers or facts in front of me. But the truth is that in my experience, when my husband and I go camping, we oftentimes the parks are located in rural areas and because it's a park, right? It's, it's engaging wilderness and it's oftentimes rural areas. Oftentimes uh, in my experience of places we've been, there's generally a lack of an urban community or lack of people of color around. So there's a natural, I think, discomfort that comes with being physically sticking out in a place. And to me, as a, a city person or a person who's grown up in urban spaces, there's a natural discomfort with being in rural spaces, right? I'm just so aware 
of the lack of development and all of these sort of factors come into play when I take myself out and go into a place where I'm a minority for for several reasons other than just my race. So when I think people who haven't tried certain outdoor activities before, all of these things sort of come into play in your mind and your comfort level to push yourself outside of that comfort level to try something new. I think these can naturally be just sort of sensitive points for someone to overcome. And if they're not, if it's not a positive experience, all of this is associated along with it, right? That's a natural human, uh, human nature. So I, I think it is very complicated, but the, the, the basic, I think, motivation for us all to be uh, sort of gunning for is exposure. And the reason I enjoy the outdoors, the reason I'm, I still kind of go out of my comfort zone and go to rural places or places that I'm not familiar with is because I tried it or I was exposed to camping in the outdoors at a young age and I grew an authentic love for it. So I have um, perspective. I have a motivation factor to say, okay, I want to feel that way again. I want to see these things again. I want to find joy in the outdoors. So I'm going to go through these different experiences of discomfort to experience that. For people who who haven't necessarily had that exposure or that positive experience in the outdoors, it's harder to overcome all of these other obstacles along the way, whether that's feeling uncomfortable in a predominantly white space or whether it's feeling uncomfortable trying something new that you don't know the first thing about or the price of it or just the distance of it you know all these other social economic factors that come into play it really comes down to if you've had that sort of exposure before it's great motivation to get you through these other moments of discomfort and if you haven't i think it just becomes a higher and higher bar for entry who got you into the outdoors first it's a really fun story because um so my family and i we moved to the united states when i was eight years old from india and we moved to Minnesota. And uh, Minnesota is actually a, a really cool state in, in the sense that um, it has a very outdoors culture. It's a state that's in winter for most of the year. But when the warmer seasons come, everybody's outside. They're camping, they're fishing, they're hunting. And so when um, when we, we moved to the United States in January to Minnesota, and it was sort of the dead of winter and we started learning uh, about the culture around us and my parents being adventurous people considering they moved from one country to the other they were also willing to kind of try different things around them so we just sort of um picked up a tent because we saw that that's what other people did in this culture and my parents bought a tent we saved up money and then we just kind of went out and tried camping on our own nobody really necessarily introduced us to it it was sort of like mimicking immigrant behavior in everything else that we were doing, whether it was, um, you know, learning how to drive or learning the public transportation system. It was something I think my parents wanted to try and we did and it became our own special adventure in the outdoors. And I also remember thinking and we were all sort of as a family were just so um, appreciative and admired this concept of sort of like public lands, right, that that we've created that in, in the United States we have the system of like public parks that are clean and that our taxes go to it and we can just go there and we can enjoy it. And so we started experimenting and do, just doing it on our own. We didn't have a lot of gear. We had, you know, not really any knowledge of camping, but uh, that's, that's really how we got into it. And um, those are probably my fondest memories. Cause I think 
growing up as an immigrant kid in Minnesota was really tough, but being outdoors and camping with my family and kind of exploring this new world was just something that was a reprieve from our entirely other social experience that we were going through. And it was just uh, simple and beautiful and empowering. So I carried that really positive association with me my whole life. And then when I was able to kind of develop a lifestyle for it, but when you are entering the outdoors as an adult and you want to make it a lifestyle, it's completely different. It's actually learning serious skills. It's actually, you know, pushing yourself to try and build a fire, not necessarily, you know, all these skills that I wanted to learn. So my husband and I started from square one and um, we've been doing it obviously through innovation and experimentation, but also trying to learn it uh, when you don't have a community or any sort of cultural background or any sort of uh, social resources. It's also intimidating, right? We got into it because it's something I really wanted to integrate into our lifestyle. And we've been continuing to do it because every time we learn something new and every time we feel a different type of joy and it is just sort of a self-perpetuating process of growing your love for the outdoors and growing your desire to make it more of a lifestyle. That's that's bold of, of your parents to just like go like this is this looks like something to to do and to dive out there because there's a lot of people who who grow up living next to these outdoor spaces and and never do that. I live in Vancouver and and we've got instant access to to some pretty gnarly mountains and 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 also some 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 dangerous mountains as well and and yet there are people who spend their entire lives growing up next to these these wilderness environments and they'll never go out there and and they don't come from outdoor families and and uh and with mountain biking they don't come from mountain bike families and and one of the key kind of targets that um that has come out of out of this this discussion has been getting to youth and and trying to get to youth with with like high school programs or or youth programs at the school level and trying to get them out there because i i think without family there's it, it's a it's a huge leap to go out into the outdoors to pick up a new sport to pick up a new hobby and and so to make that transition a little bit easier it's nice when you can kind of learn that as a kid you learn it from you know somebody that comes to visit your your you know your your uh, girl guides or your boy scouts troop or or um or you take an outdoor program at a high school level that kind of thing yeah i absolutely agree and like i said for me i was in a strange way i really do acknowledge it as privilege i was privileged enough to be exposed to the outdoors at a young age at a time when i didn't really feel privileged about a lot of other things but it absolutely has been formative and it has been the foundation of my push to just keep getting out there regardless of whatever discomforts or if I keep hitting barriers or obstacles and I think it is very important for children to be exposed to the outdoors at a young age where um you know as when you're young the world is an adventure and you're you're not as overwhelmed by the obstacles it's sort of seen as a part of the journey and it's really important to be exposed to the outdoors in in that stage of your life when you see it as a normative part of growing your joy for life, right? And it's also, there's so much that has to be said about just having confidence in the outdoors. The, the self-esteem issues that people can experience at so many different levels as an adult, it's really hard to get into activities you have no uh, orientation towards. But 
when you're exposed to it as a kid, you can develop your own sense of self in the outdoors and you can develop your own sense of confidence in the outdoors that will then allow you to experiment and enjoy it for the experience itself and not feel self-conscious or burdened by the possibility of failure. It's just, I, I think it's so critical to expose kids at a younger age and give them the opportunity to make the outdoors a part of their identity. Whether they like it or not, that should be a decision that they're allowed to make. And um, I, I just think that that's what happened to me and it has meant everything. And I've really relied on that experience and been very honest about it throughout my storytelling. How much does cost act as a barrier to accessing the outdoors and, and participating in outdoor activities? Well, I think that is an issue that is at the center of this conversation, especially when we're talking about trying to increase diversity outdoors, because, you know, it obviously depends on the activity. For us, camping was something really important to me, and camping is expensive to get into, which just maybe even at the most minimal level of gear, it's a tent and sleeping bags and even pads, right? And at the end of the day, that starts adding up. But even if it's hiking, let's say, because a lot of people say it's not that expensive, you just need shoes and you just need to get on the trail. But for a lot of people, they don't live near trails like that, right? Or near the kind of wilderness that truly allows you to connect with nature. And transportation, I think, is a very important issue to talk about because people don't necessarily have access to a lot of these big, beautiful parks that we talk about to get out there to Shenandoah is our closest national park here in the D.C. area. And it's just gorgeous. It's beautiful. But for me, it's about I think we live about two and a half hours. Right. And like I said, a lot of the state parks we've been to that are just beautiful are also in rural areas. So cost is actually a very important factor in acknowledging why I think we sometimes have a lack of diversity in these places because it's expensive to get out there. And also when you have no sort of experience in an activity, so let's just say camping, if I only wanted to focus on increasing diversity in the camping community. If you have no experience with it, you don't really know anyone who's done it, you don't necessarily have the confidence to be innovative and say, you know what, I don't have the money to buy a camping pad, let me see what else I can make up, right? You just, you're so overwhelmed by the newness of everything that it's harder to have the confidence to come up with cheaper options on your own. So it's it's complicated because cost is definitely uh, a prohibitive factor for a lot of people to get out there. And I think the more we talk about it and the more we show real people outdoors doing real things that aren't as extreme or as expensive, that creates a culture of normative outdoors behavior that I think can really help push people out there and to be experimental or find options that may be cheaper for them and, you know, really explore their accessibility to the outdoors. You know, I think similar to, we, you know, we've spoken about performance and, and that extreme end of, of outdoor pursuits. And, and I think that media, outdoor media does a uh, promotes that. I mean, that's their, their main kind of product that they're pushing out in magazines on, on outdoor websites, that kind of stuff. But also that, that gear is always that high end new and, and mountain biking is, is so much about the gear. Um, you know, one of the things I strive to do in this podcast is, is try to never actually talk about a bike. <laughs> I try to talk about everything else. Um, cause there's, there's, it's almost super saturated with discussions about about the product, but you don't, 
you don't need the most advanced. You don't need the most high end stuff to, to do this stuff. And, and, and bikes included, I mean, bikes can get up to, and, and, you know, when you start riding for a, a while, you know, you're, you're looking at a new bike and it's like, Oh, I need six grand for a new bike. And it's, it's one of those things you kind of have to give your head a shake. Like you don't need that much for a bike. And, and when you're first getting into riding, you certainly don't need that much for a bike. And, but we're not promoting that as much. And, and do you think that there's, do you think that these kind of bigger magazines or, or outdoor websites could promote that kind of more entry level side of things? Or is it just a fact where it's, it's just not going to sell? It's, it's not, it's not what people want to see. I absolutely think that there's space to talk about just real activities. And I think we are having a moment right now in society, in our community of really pushing retailers to have that conversation and to acknowledge it, that it may just be that it has never really dawned on a lot of retailers that there's this need now to push the conversation away from the extreme to to make it's maybe not just about diversity but to make real people feel included in this culture where if you're working or you have kids and you have other responsibilities in life how can retailers make you consider the outdoors as an activity to enter and it not be so gear focused or so intimidating and i certainly think there's a lot of room for these types of marketing campaigns and i think Companies are really catching on to that now. I, we have a long ways to go to make these marketing campaigns more authentic and reflective of real people. But I think there's money anywhere you want to market it. If anything, we're if we're trying to grow the customer base for them, right? Our whole premise is that we want more people outdoors. So I I believe that there is benefit for that for retailers if they just think creatively and really push themselves to acknowledge how real people are feeling right now and what they need to do to make people feel included and comfortable in trying new outdoors lifestyles. Yeah, one of the the major uh, outdoor retailers in in Canada, they they've shifted kind of their their marketing a little bit recently and and what they've done is they've they've gotten into more uh gateway activities. So instead of really focusing on on marketing, they, they certainly still sell the product, but marketing like ice climbing and uh, mountaineering and, and that kind of stuff, they've started to sell, you know, yoga mats and road bikes and uh, running shoes that aren't just for on trail, you know, just regular running shoes to go run on pavement. And, and of course, right along with, with the theme that we've been discussing about, about, you know, not being inclusive, the backlash was huge with, with their customer base. Cause this is, this isn't extreme enough. Right. But it's, it's working. Yeah. They're, they're selling a ton of product and, and I think they're getting more people out and, and doing more things. I mean, we, you've touched on it, uh, you know, the, that the urban, access to the outdoors isn't there. And so getting those people from an urban environment to the outdoors takes some some baby steps and, and takes some of those gateway activities. I, I think like bike paths could could help. Even just parks, you know, parks that are full of trees as opposed to a park that's that's got a soccer goalpost in it. I think all this stuff can can kind of help. And then the other thing that you you mentioned too was was driving. I mean you've got to drive to these places. And that's a huge cost. I live in a, in a city with great public transit. And I ask myself sometimes, if I didn't go into the outdoors as much as I do, would I need a car? 
I don't think I would. <laughs> I think it's the reason why I own a vehicle. And yeah, and I think that's that's a very important part of it is to, I think, um, you know, like in the D.C. area, we definitely promote a lot of our local city parks because that's Washington, D.C. And it's that's a very important part of its identity. But um, to, to embrace that lifestyle is to acknowledge that sometimes these places are far away. But how can we how can we make those goals to achieve? Like for me, it's, I, we can't necessarily afford this lifestyle, but we have to think ahead, plan ahead, save creatively. Um, you know, it's not just the money, but it's also your job, right? You have to have access to paid leave or you have to have the privilege of being able to use your vacation time for these things and maybe not other family obligations. All of these factors come into play in acknowledging that, large communities uh, have to face a lot of obstacles in getting to the outdoors. But to be able to promote that lifestyle is accessible and to show other people who are doing that is a great motivator to make it more normative. And I think those conversations need to be had. So do you think that in order to increase diversity in the outdoors that we need to to change the the systemic racism and sexism that's inherent with with all things? Or do you think that we can we can kind of tackle this for more of a grassroots level? That's a tough question. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> so basically you said, should we achieve world peace before we... Yeah. You know, and it's like, is that, can we just blame the lack of world peace on this problem or, or can we tackle this thing as, as outdoor enthusiasts? I think it's very intimidating and um, probably unfair to all of us to try and link the solution to this problem to other larger systemic problems. Certainly there's an overlap. Certainly when we think about how certain groups of people are so disenfranchised, the reason that they're disenfranchised and the consequences of their disenfranchisement obviously would affect their ability to go outdoors. But I think we should also engage in the conversation about how can I make a difference, right? I may not be able to solve the institutional racism that African-Americans face in America or that uh, affects communities of color from not having disposable income to buy camping gear. I may not be able to solve that, but I can certainly acknowledge that in my conversations. I can certainly talk about the reality of what's happening out there. And what I've learned recently is that people don't, a lot of people don't even agree with the premise that we need greater diversity. So we may not be able to solve these problems, but I think it's it's incumbent on us to acknowledge them. And I think what you're doing through this podcast is brilliant and is, is exactly what we need to be doing is push ourselves to have these conversations, acknowledge the problem, and then say that we need to work as a community to figure out solutions. There, there isn't an easy fix for a complicated problem. We've learned this over and over, but a big part of solving this problem is a culture shift that needs to happen. The culture shift being that we need to honestly acknowledge that there are there, there's a high bar of entry to a lot of outdoor activities and that uh, we all play a very important role in developing a culture that values the outdoors. And if we can do that, that's the first step in helping promoting this lifestyle and then helping find um, ways that we can grow our community together and that that is actually a major priority for all of us, not just people of color, but for white people and everyone else that growing our community is critical 
for our environment as a whole and to maintain it for future generations. Excellent. Well, Umbreen, thank you for for taking the time to discuss this with me. And, and also thank you for, for what you're doing. I think for really bringing attention to this conversation. I think the platform that you're using is great. I think that even just the name is catchy and really brings some attention to it. And I think it's, I think you're doing a great job. Well, thank you so much. I, I really appreciate that. I also re- just really appreciate the opportunity to sort of talk in this form, right? I mean, to me, storytelling is the most powerful form of connecting to another person. And I've, I've said this before, which is I have a certain belief and I can tell you what that belief is, but it's just, it's more productive for us to share stories and share illustrations of why that belief exists. So I would rather tell you a story of how I discovered camping and what it means to me rather than just say, it's important for us to grow diversity. Cause I think storytelling is very, very important for us to connect as individuals with different political and social beliefs. So I'm really excited for the podcast series you're doing and everything you're doing to to grow this conversation. And like you said, it's beyond just mountain biking. It's just getting in the outdoors and finding all sorts of ways to enjoy it. So thank you so much, Brent. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Big thanks to all of my guests over the last four episodes and to Umbreen Tarek for providing another fantastic perspective. Once again, here's the opportunity for you, the listener, to get involved. Hopefully you're inspired to interact with Frontlines on social media. You can find me at BrentskiBikeSki or send me an email at brent at bikeski.ca. And if you'd like to include your voice in this discussion, then please send me an audio file. It's always great to hear from the listeners and it's fantastic to include your voice in this discussion. Using diversity as a springboard to discuss some additional topics, next episode will be about urban trails and just how valuable they are to the mountain bike community and surrounding community in general. Again, thanks to Jay Darby for his behind the scenes role in this episode's conversation. I can't stress enough how important and vital my listeners have been when it comes to this podcast, providing me with new ideas, pointing me in the directions of fantastic articles and potential guests. Also, thank you to Lee Rosevere for the song Tech Toys, And if you like the show, then please share it with your friends, family, and fellow trail advocates. And if you haven't already, give us a rating and leave us a comment on iTunes or whatever podcatcher you're using. It helps others find the show. And finally, I'm Brent Hillier. This is Frontlines. Thanks for listening, and happy trails.